Find your Bibles there and let's open them to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 8, please. Matthew 8, beginning in verse 5, page 1507 in that book rack Bible. Hope your Bible is opened, your smartphone, tablet, whatever you've got, get your eyes on Scripture this morning. So great to see you all out. There's an outline in your bulletin, maybe that will help you track along with where we're going this morning in discovering a faith that Jesus likes. So we're in a narrative section in the Gospel of Matthew, and I said last week the Gospel of Matthew toggles between narrative and discourse. Discourse are the words of Jesus, narrative sections are the works of Jesus, and for these two chapters, Matthew 8 and 9, primarily we're looking at the works of Jesus in this narrative section, and primarily the miracles, amazing miracles that Jesus performs here Uh, that we're going to be looking at once again today. What's amazing about the text today, I think, is the simple reminder that here we discover a faith that Jesus notices, that Jesus looks for in his people, that Jesus actually commends, that he actually affirms. And this is a faith that I hope is demonstrated in my life. I hope it's demonstrated in your life. And maybe as you think about what we look at this morning, you'll be asking yourself the question, do I have this kind of faith? Let's read the text, beginning in verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have, found, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. Wow, what an amazing story that is. And there's a lot to take apart here in the text. When we go through a a narrative section like this, sometimes I observe some things that I immediately see an attachment to a principle. And that's what we're going to do this morning. And you'll see on your outline there, there are six things that I'm going to show you are just observations that we recognize. And then from that observation, a practical application or principle that we can apply to our own lives. So you'll see as we, as we begin here, verses 5 and 6, I want to point out that I observe there a passionate appeal. So here's this centurion, and he comes to Jesus needing help. His servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Now centurions were uh, Roman military officials. They were in charge of 100 troops, thus the name centurion, And these uh, centurions, while we don't really know who this guy was, every time they show up in Scripture, and they show up seven times in the New Testament, something about a centurion, every time there's something of nobility, something of a noble uh, response that they have wherever we find them in Scripture. And I don't know if there's any attachment to that other than the fact that that here were some military officials and this one in particular in the city of Capernaum. 
But we know that with the Jews, uh, the Jews despised the Romans. And the further up the chain you were with, the food chain you were with Rome, you were despised all the more. Uh, Romans were occupying the land of Palestine during first century, during the time of Christ. And it might have been a little bit like, uh, I don't know if there's any uh, people of French descent who perhaps remember in World War II when the Nazi Germany, Nazi Germany moved into France and occupied uh, the hatred between the French and the, and the Germans w- was so intense. And this is probably how it was for the Jews. Uh, and perhaps even a little more so. That this foreign uh, nation had come in to rule and to reign and to set up their own gods and their own practices. Uh, Romans were occupying the land. And, and, and here this, this Roman, this centurion, comes to Jesus, who is a Jew, for help. And we know from Luke's account of this passage that this centurion had, had some kind of heart for the Jewish people. While the Jews may have not liked the, the Romans, this Roman had some kind of an affinity for uh, the Jews. It tells us in, Romans, excuse me, in Luke 7 that when a delegation along with this man had come to Jesus, they said, this man deserves to have you do this. When the appeal was made for him to come and do something with his, with his servant, he says, they say, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. And so this Roman had actually had some kind of uh, affinity toward the Jews where if you went to Capernaum today, there's a site there, an archaeological site of a first century synagogue that this guy built for the Jews. It's amazing. When we read the Bible, we're not reading fantasy or, or fiction. We're looking at absolute truth that comes out of a historical setting. And if you went to Capernaum today, you could see this site. I have stood there. I have been there. And it's fascinating to think that this was something to do with this Roman centurion so many years ago. All this sets up this passionate appeal where he comes to Jesus with the intention of Jesus helping him. And so here's the principle I want you to consider for just a second as we look at this part of the text, that the kind of help we get in moments of crisis depends on where we go or to whom we go. I mean, the kind of help we get in times of crisis depends on exactly where we go. And it's amazing. People go to various places when crisis arises. Some people wisely choose to go to things like family and close friends or confidants, people that they know they can trust. But can I submit to you this morning that the wisest choice, the wisest place to go is straight to Jesus when you're in a crisis. This guy knew this, and a lot of people don't. People turn to all kinds of things. They turn to to habits and pleasures and addictions. They self-medicate, alcohol, drugs, pornography. The list goes on and on. Sometimes in our most vulnerable moments, when we're in crisis and choosing where we're going to go for help, we just don't go to the right place. And right here in the text, this Roman centurion knew that there was one place he could go. Now, maybe he had observed Jesus as Jesus did his ministry in Capernaum. That's where all this takes place. Uh, Maybe this... this, uh, Roman soldier had viewed Jesus as he walked among the people and saw something so different about him that he just logged into his mind that there comes a time, if there comes a time in my life where I've got a crisis, I know where I'm going to go. 
I don't know how many times I've had the personal experience, and we've had this experience many times over with our staff and those that are here at Three Crosses, where people will come and they'll, they'll be in kind of a crisis, and we'll ask them, well, how is it that you found us? How is it that you found Three Crosses? And they'll say something like, well, when I was in high school, I, I came to Omega. That's amazing. I mean, years ago, Omega's been around forever. And, and I didn't make a decision for Christ there, but, but I learned and saw how people treated each other, and I recognized that God was in this place, and, and I knew, I knew then that if there was ever anything that came down in my life, I would want to be here. Same thing comes out in stories like, when did you first come to Three Crosses? Well, I was invited to one of your Christmas or Easter or one of your outreach musicals and I heard the gospel and I didn't necessarily make a commitment but I knew there that this was a safe place. This was a place where I could get my questions answered. Or you could fill in the blank with all the different various kinds of ministries that have poured off this hill over the years that people get a touch. There's something that recognizes uh, that there's something different in this place. God is here and while people may not be ready today, that might be you. You might be sitting here today. Someone brought you to church or you saw the crosses and you came in and it might not be today that you're ready to give your life to Christ but oh someday there's coming a crisis in your life. Something that you don't know how you're going to handle and in that moment it just might be that you'll remember and reflect on the great work of God that you observed. You said, that's a place where I want to go. It may not be here. It may be some other place where you've had that same experience. How many of the students that are going off to Hume Lake this week are going to be touched with the gospel? And many of them will come and give their lives to Jesus. But some of them will just simply log in their hearts and down the road in their life where something has come to some sort of pinnacle or some sort of crisis, they're going to recognize, I need Christ in my life. The greatest place we can go is to Jesus. When we are in our crisis, where we go says a lot about what we receive. The second thing I see in this text, verse 7, is that there's this polite agreeableness in the heart of Jesus. Notice Jesus says to him, I will go and heal him. That's amazing to me. We saw this last week, that while the, remember the guy last week, the leper who who was in the presence of Jesus, came right into his presence. He knew that Jesus had the power to heal, but he wasn't sure he was willing. And now here for a second time, Matthew is showing us that Jesus is not just able, but he's willing. And it's so amazing. I just, I'm attracted to this when I read that Jesus says to him, and notice the man doesn't even ask him to come for healing his servant. He just comes to Jesus and he talks about his servant being paralyzed and in terrible suffering. And Jesus just says, I will go. I will go and heal him. I mean, that to me just strikes a chord in my own heart as to the kind of Lord that we serve. And here's the principle, and I know it's simple. We talked about it last week, but it bears repeating that if we come to Jesus, we can depend on discovering his willingness to help us. Jesus loves to help. Jesus loves to reach out to us. And while some of us are still living under the mantle of religiosity that sort of looks like God scornfully looking at us from heaven, wagging his finger at us and telling us, you know, we're too bad or we're this or that, what we find in Scripture is that Jesus is all too willing to come. He's always willing. In fact, not only is he willing to come to us, he continually invites us, as I've said and many others have said over the years, one of his favorite words is, come. Come and find help. Come and find healing. Come and give your life. Come and receive what you need in your life. Nevertheless, I'm amazed how people stubbornly refuse to come to Jesus. 
They'll go to friends, even strangers, habits, places of solitude. They might turn to all kinds of resources and refuse to simply come to the one who has not only the power and ability but the willingness to do something in their lives. It's just amazing to me sometimes when I meet believe uh, when I meet people who have grown up in a believing setting, a setting where they've seen the gospel, recognized the gospel, and they come to a place where they're sort of confused. They're not sure where they should go spiritually in their life. They haven't really given their life to Jesus, but there's sort of this unrest in their life. And they'll say something like this: "You know, I've been around the church a long time. I don't know. I just I'm not getting it. I think I'm going to go look into some things like Buddhism." I I talk to people like that. I think, well, wait a minute. You've exhausted what it means. Have you read the scriptures? Well, I don't know. I've been around the Bible all my life. I've been around Christians. I don't know. I just, I just, maybe there's something else out there. And you know what? When people leave the church of Jesus Christ, the bastion of strength and faith in the one true God, and go out searching for what they think they will find, a lot of times the enemy is so clever and so good at showing us something that looks like the truth. And it's just amazing. People fall for that all the time. I don't know who God brought to this service this morning. You might be wrestling in your heart. I don't know. I've been around the church. I was raised in a Christian family. It's just not my own. It just doesn't settle with me. And you're right now thinking about, you know, there's, there's some great pop psychology out there that seems to have some real grip on life. There's something with spirituality that I want to explore. There's something with Eastern, Buddha, Eastern mysticism or Buddhism or some other ism that seems somehow new or attractive to you. And I just want to encourage you to recognize that if you'll just come to Jesus and, and pour your heart out to him and look to him, you will find him so willing, so able to clear up and show you who you are in him, show you where you must be if you, must have a, if you were to have a relationship with him. You can come to him. You can trust him. He's willing. That is so beautiful. I'm so grateful for that. Uh, last night, one of my kids locked her keys in the car, and, and so she called me. Dad, I have trouble. I've locked my keys in the car. Well, she called me because, number one, I'm her father. I'm thankful for that. Number two, uh, she knows uh, that I will help her. She knows that I would drop anything to go help her, so she calls me. And she also knows that I have a set of keys, And I was thinking about this as, my, as I was driving to where she was. I was thinking about what Jesus said in Revelation 1.18 where he says, I, he says, I am the living one. I was dead, but behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. He holds the keys. You know why you should call on Jesus? Because he holds the keys. He holds the keys to your life. He holds the keys to your future. He holds the keys to your destiny. He holds all of that. And you will look in vain everywhere else in life until you come to him, the one who is not only able but willing and who holds the keys to your life. Won't you come to him today? Someone's listening to this message who needs to come to Jesus today and trust in him and put your faith in him and believe. Beautiful reminder to us. And so here this, this guy comes, uh, and, and there's this polite uh, agreeableness to Jesus. But I also see in verses 8 and 9, there's a practical affirmation that comes here. 
a practical affirmation. Ironically, the centurion feels so unworthy. Notice his posture. No, Lord, don't come to my house. I'm not worthy to have you enter my house. Perhaps he was being sensitive to the Jewish laws that would be defiling to a Jew to enter into a Gentile's house. Maybe he was just sort of saving Jesus from all of that. I don't know, in his mind. And without really even knowing who Jesus is, notice that this man has some spiritual insight about him. He knows as a soldier that rank infuses authority over those under, with lesser rank. And so he says, Jesus, all you need to do, I've underlined it in my Bible, you should in yours also, verse 8, just say the word. Just say the word. Because I'm under authority and I understand what it means to be under authority. And all I need to do is to hear you say the word and it will be done. And did you notice back up in verse 6 when he comes to Jesus, he calls him Lord. We pointed that out last week. That was the first time that Matthew uses, uh, shows that someone is calling Jesus Lord in the gospel text. And here, once again, this man comes calling him Lord. The word Lord, kyrios in the Greek, it means master, captain. Uh, This is a man who understands in short order that he is among somebody who has a higher rank than him. And he knows that with Jesus' rank and his authority, all he must do is speak the word. This is an amazing truth. Here's the principle. As amazing as it might be to have some have some, have God show us something that we would like to see, there's really nothing better than just to depend solely on his word. You know, it's amazing. When you think about what this man was coming to Jesus for and Jesus' magnanimous uh, invitation to go to this man's house and for the man to stop him and he says, no, all, all you need to do is say the word. He knew that Jesus had this authority. And I was thinking in my own life how oftentimes we as even believers in Christ are are sort of drawn to the sensational. We want to see God do this amazing thing. I mean, I don't know. I I hate to admit it, but if I'm the man in the text, I might, when Jesus says, I will go and heal him, I might say, yes, come on. I want to be a part of that. I want to see that. This is going to be amazing. Along the way, I'm probably inviting my friends to see it too. But this man backs off in a demurring fashion and he says to Jesus, all you need to do is to say the word. I will trust your word. So think about it. Believers in Christ this morning, are we as committed to the word of Christ as much as we are as seeing something, some manifestation, some spectacular move of God that we might bolster our faith in this way? Or are we content in saying, Jesus, if you say it here, I'm going to trust you, I'm going to believe you. And as I was thinking about this text all week long and a few weeks before this week, I was thinking how often I am so short on faith. I am so small in faith. It's amazing to me that, that I read things over and over in Scripture If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Do I believe that or not? When Jesus uh, tells me in his word, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives do I give unto you. Do I believe that? When I hear the Apostle Paul write, for we know that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his plan. Do I believe that or not? 
Do I believe that he is with me? When I read the Psalms, do I believe that no good thing does he withhold to those whose walk is upright? Do I believe the simple word of God? Do you? Because when you do, when I do, there's something amazing that happens. In fact, that's the next little movement here. Notice that there's pure amazement. On, the behalf, of, on behalf of who? On behalf of Christ. Verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished. If you have your own Bible there, I want you to underline that word, astonished. The Greek word is thuomazo. And it's used all through the Gospels to describe the way people respond to the miracles of Jesus. Astonishment. Oh man, I can't believe it. Twice in the Gospels, right here and in Mark 6, 6, it is spoken of being used of Jesus. Here, Jesus is astonished at this man's faith. In Mark 6, 6, he's astonished over the people's lack of faith. It's kind of like, if you want to astonish Jesus, you're going to astonish him in one or two ways. You're going to astonish him with your faith, or you're going to astonish him with your lack of faith. Which would it be for you today? I think about that in my life. Most times, I think the meter would go toward the lack of faith. Jesus saying, oh, come on, we've been through this a few times. I mean, Larry, look at all the things I have done around you. Look at the things that I have shown my faithfulness in. And I'm still sort of sucking my thumb in the corner, wishing that circumstances were different. He said, would you believe me instead of wallowing in your doubt? I wonder if I'm amazing Jesus with my doubt. How about amazing him with your faith? You say, well, wow, I, I, I could never have faith like that. Well, when I look at this story, it's really not all that super faith. It's just the guy saying, look, if you'll say it, that's enough for me. I mean, this is a guy, watch this, he's a Roman. He's not at this point yet a professed follower of Jesus. He's coming to Jesus. He's simply saying, I'll trust your word. And at that, Jesus is astonished. He said, this is what I've been looking for everywhere I go among my people. And I haven't seen it. Wow. I don't know about you, but I just say, Lord, that's the kind of faith that I want to have. Because if that kind of faith blesses you, I want to have that faith. So when I read, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will bear much fruit. Done, Lord. I believe it. I'm not going to doubt that anymore in my life. When God's word tells me that he's going to work it all out for his glory and my good. Done. I'm going to believe that. I'm not going to doubt that. And all through my day, there's this warp and uh, this ebb and flow of believing God, yes, and oh, I don't know, I don't know, and believing God, and you go through the same kinds of fluctuations in your own life, and beloved, if we could just recognize that the kind of faith that Jesus wants us to demonstrate is a simple faith that says, God, if it's here, if it's in your word, it's good enough, I'm going to trust it, I'm going to build my life on it. That's what we need. No matter what my circumstances tell me, no matter what's going on around me, I can say, Jesus, I trust you. It's not supernatural faith. It's faith in a supernatural God. The song we sing is not, it's amazing faith that saved a wretch like me. It's amazing grace. God's grace through faith, 
in Jesus Christ. A passionate appeal, a polite agreeableness, a practical affirmation, pure amazement. There's something here in verses 11 and 12 that's a little disturbing, isn't there? And there's a prophetic announcement. Jesus prophesies how this kind of faith will open doors even to the Gentiles. Notice he says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham. This is the, this is the great feast in heaven. This is God's banquet table. And while the invitation goes out, so many who assume that they're on their way there, Jesus says, ah, the people that assume they're on their way there, uh uh-uh. The Jews who thought that they were the children of God because they were the seed of the seed of Abraham, Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh. Because the true sons of God, the true seed of Abraham are those who have faith for the righteous will live by faith. Write that down, that's the principle. The righteous will live by faith. All through Scripture, we find this. It crescendos beautifully in the book of Romans. We'll put it on the screen. Romans 4, 3 through 5. Let's read it out loud together. Follow along. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However... To the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. And that should give all of us a hallelujah, amen. That we didn't have to work. We are not working for our salvation. Our works flow out of our salvation. When Christ saves a person, he puts within that man or woman the desire to do good works, the works that God has prepared beforehand. The beautiful message of the book of James, faith without works is dead. You can profess all day long. You can assume that you're a part of the kingdom of God because you're in a religious place. You go to church or you know a creed, but God tells us that it is the righteous who live by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. This is where it all comes down. And I don't know, this should be somewhat alarming to some people because in this text it says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is talking about there is going to come a day where there, is going to be, there are going to be people surprised and shocked that while they thought they were in, they are not in. Are you in? You say, well, hey, I'm working as hard as I can at it. Uh-uh, no You're only in because you've believed the simple word of Jesus Christ. You've trusted that it is His blood, the cross, His resurrection, all the substitution for your own death and for your own resurrection in Him. All depending upon what Jesus has done and not one shred of it being your own work or your own life. And the last thing I see here in this text is a powerful, a powerful affirmation, a powerful uh, recognition, uh, a powerful articulation. What's the word? I'm losing it here. Authentication. Thank you. Thank you. Somewhere in my notes. A powerful authentication. I mean, Jesus says here, don't miss this. Look at this. He says, go and it will be done to you just as you believed it would. And the servant was healed in that very hour, Matthew says. Wow. You know what I get out of that? 
Number one, remember Matthew's point in these two chapters is to authenticate Jesus Christ as the true Messiah. It's his whole point. He's not sensationalizing. He's giving credible evidence to every Jew that this Messiah, this professing Messiah, is the one in whom you can place your entire faith and trust. And you know what I see in this as well? I see that there's amazing power that happens in praying for and believing God to do things that only he can do, even at a distance. Praying for loved ones. Anybody thinking about anybody that's not here this morning that, oh, how you wish they would be in the place where God's people are worshiping and learning from his word, but they're not, and they don't want to be. Is there anybody feeling that this morning? You can pray for them right now. Oh, Lord, bring this person to salvation. Oh, Lord, bring conviction to this person's heart. Oh, Lord, in the moment of their crisis, may they look to you. You can pray this way, knowing that you serve a God who can answer prayer. Watch this. At a distance. You can pray for people at work. Pray for circumstances right now in your life. Things that are going on that are not right here present with you. People, circumstances. You can pray around the globe. You can pray for people on the other side of the planet. I've been praying all weekend for the Syrian refugees. Thinking about four million people, children who are suffering this terrible blight in the Middle East. I don't even know what to do with that. But I'm praying and I'm I'm getting some comfort from the fact that when we pray, even at a distance, God hears our prayer and and God can send forth great, great answers according to his will. What a, what a ministry that we have in the ministry of prayer. And what a God we serve. The kind of faith that Jesus likes is a faith that simply comes and says, Lord, I believe. I believe it because you said it. Let's go to the Lord right now. Shall we pray? Lord, Lord, I fall so short on this every single day, Lord, but I'm grateful that it's not falling short that discounts me, but is just a simple reminder to me, Lord, that I can, I can display faith and trust in you, and you can do the work that only you can do. Give us the faith of this centurion, Lord. Simple faith in an amazing God. Thank you for your willingness. Thank you for what you've shown us today in this text. And while there's so much more that we could have dug out of this, Lord, today, I believe that this is certainly sufficient to take us through this next week, to look for opportunities, to pray for people, even at a distance, situations where people don't even know we're praying for them, how beautiful that is, to be in a conversation with someone, but in our hearts be praying for them. God, you are the great God that answers prayer, and you do all things well according to your word and so we trust you today whatever burden we carry this morning remind us all through this week that you are the great burden bearer i'm going to stop in my prayer just briefly and if if there's anybody here this morning that needs to begin by trusting jesus putting their faith in jesus right here right now you can open your heart to christ and you can believe and trust in him believe that he died for you on the cross that he rose again from the grave that your sins have created a debt that only he can pay. But by trusting in Jesus, right where you sit, you can say, Jesus, I trust that you paid the penalty for my sins. And repenting of my sin, I choose to follow you. 
with what little faith I have, I put it in you, God, today. And if there's anyone here simply praying a prayer like that, you can trust that the Lord will hear your prayer. And he is more than willing. Now, Jesus, walk through this place and touch every heart. Bring us closer to you and remind us of your great love for us and that we are indeed your people by placing faith and trust in you. May our hearts choose to worship you now, Lord, and give you praise for the great God that you are. Let's stand together and worship the Lord.